So this evening, we're going to talk about how to obtain a peace of mind. That sounds good, doesn't it? You know, the world goes through a lot of different things to try to get a peace of mind, whether it's drugs and alcohol or different types of relationships or, or whatever. But there's really only one thing that can give you a peace of mind, and that is knowing God. Amen. Not just knowing about him, but knowing him. Um, for yourself. And so the Word of God's full of wisdom and, and how um, we accomplish that goal. And so if you want to follow along, we're going to um, start at uh, Luke 10, verse 38, and we're going to look at the account of the two sisters, Martha and Mary. I love these two sisters. They're found in various places in the Bible. You can get a lot of good stuff from, from just their differences and, and how one and Mary honored God, honored the Lord, and, and always worshipped him at, 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 at his feet. When the scriptures mention Mary, she's always at the feet of Jesus. And she had a special type relationship. But Martha was the troubled one. Martha had a lot of trouble and, and um, things uh, turmoil in her life. And I'll show you where Jesus says that. And so he gives her good wisdom. But before we get started, I want to read to you something that the Lord put in my heart. And, and it was this. The redemptive work of Jesus Christ is the only true success that's in the world. The only thing that truly overcome the world was the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on that cross. Amen? And so that means we have victory over darkness. We have victory over Satan. And as believers, we just ride the wave of his success. We've already won the battle. You're, you went from death to light. Amen? The Bible says you were in the kingdom of darkness but God translated you over into his kingdom. You belong to God. He put his spirit in you. So that's the true victory. And so we just come from a place of victory on all areas of our walk with the Lord. The Bible says that we do come from a place of victory, a place of triumph. And you know, the Bible says that we're not just overcomers. The Bible says we're more than an overcomer. That's pretty good. Amen. And so... But remember, anytime you read the word, anytime you go about your life, anytime you're faced with the problem, just come from a place of, of victory. Your Jesus' success, success is our success, right? He's overcome Satan. Does anybody think that Jesus failed when he came? Did he die on the cross? Did he raise from the dead? Did he go up to the right hand of the Father? He did what he what he was sent to do, right? Now, how we respond to that redemptive work of God, how we, how we respond to that, that, that uh, grace of God, that's called faith. Amen? We respond by believing the word of God. But I, I really believe in Luke chapter 10, the Holy Spirit wanted us to see the contrast between these two sisters. One worshiped at the feet of Jesus and the other was constantly troubled. And so verse 38, it says, Now it happened as they, as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now when it says that, he, that Mary heard his word, that word heard in the uh, Greek means not only to hear, but to, but to pay attention. You know, sometimes people can, can hear, but they're not listening, right? And so she heard it, she paid attention, she understood it, and, and the other element of this definition of the word heard, she obeyed it. 
Amen. She obeyed the word of Jesus. That's the kind of condition she's in at the feet of Jesus. Look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Now, Martha, you can see in her words, she was in bad, bad shape. I mean, she's accusing Jesus of not caring, and then she tells him what to do, right? And so, but Jesus, of course, he, he's always patient. He's the patient one, right? And verse 41, and Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. And so the word troubled, when he says you're troubled about many things, that's also a Greek word, tribrazo. And what he was saying is that, that your trouble is an inner conflict. It's an inner turmoil. In other words, you're in a constant state of worry and confusion, or just simply, Martha, you got a troubled mind. This, this certain incident here with uh, Mary not helping, Mary not helping serve, isn't why you're, you're upset. It's the uh, turmoil is already in you. A constant state. Has anybody ever met someone like that? They're always in some kind of mood. Always in some kind of aggravation. They're, not, they're easy to, um, to uh, upset, aren't they? And so, but you see where Jesus said, but one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Some people take the idea, they say, well, see, Jesus said you don't have to cook or clean or do anything like that. No, he wasn't saying that, right? You know, I, I, know, I have a pastor friend that said one day in his congregation, there was a, uh, a man that he said, the scripture says, God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory, so I don't need to work. And he wouldn't work. They had five kids, but his wife would work to support the family. And so as Brother Hagin used to say, that's ignorance gone to seed there, right? And so... And so, but I believe what Jesus was saying to Martha is this. He was saying, Martha, the only thing necessary or the only hope for a troubled soul or a troubled mind like yours is to spend time at my feet. Amen. That's what um, settles down uh, uh, the turmoil and the, and the conflict that we can all have in us. Boy, in today's world, if you watch too much news, you're going to have to really spend some extra time at the feet of Jesus. Because they could get to you when you see all that's going on, all the injustice out there. But Jesus is like, Martha, look, here's what you need to do. You need to do what Mary's doing. You need, you need to spend some time with me. Amen? I think Martha should have got the picture and said, you know what? You all can get your own sandwiches. I'm done. I'm going to sit with my sister, Right? You can, you can get your own sandwiches and do your own dishes. You know, there's a time to serve, but then there's also a time to be at the feet of Jesus. Amen. And you see how Martha was distracted with much serving? A lot of people in the ministry, they get distracted with serving. They're always serving and always doing something for the Lord, but they don't ever spend time at the feet of Jesus. And so they end up uh, a tribrazo. They end up troubled and with the inner turmoil in a mind that's... Um, full of uh, a lot of 
a lot of aggravating things. And so when you spend the time at the feet of Jesus, that means first and foremost, you got to get into the Word of God. Amen. I've been at this for 20 some years, almost 21 years, and the main staple of my ministry has always been on the Word of God. That's where it all starts for all of us. Jesus said, my word is spirit and life. Um, Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than, than any two-edged sword. And it goes right into the spirit of a, of a man or a woman. It, it's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so if you honor God's word and make a commitment to obey, not just learn something, but to say, these are words to live by, you'll have success. What's the Bible say? God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you get off the light of the word of God, I don't know where you're going to end up. You're going to end up somewhere that's not too good, right? But thankfully, we got the word. And so as you spend time at the feet of Jesus, it's getting into the word. Look at this one. I want to show you, go over into the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. Joshua 1, verse 8. And so Joshua, of course, Joshua and Caleb were the faithful ones and the courageous ones that wanted to go into the promised land 40 years earlier. But the whole nation believed the, the 10 spies when they said they couldn't do it, and they died in the wilderness. But Joshua and Caleb, they went into the promised land 40 years later, and they got their inheritance. And so Joshua was called by God to lead a nation of people into the promised land when 40 years earlier... Millions of people died in the desert trying to get there. They died because of what? Unbelief. Not just unbelief. God said it was an evil heart of unbelief. You know what they did constantly? They kept looking back. They kept looking back. When the trouble came, they looked back. And they said, why did we leave? Why did we go? We should have stayed back there. And they were complainers. Don't be a complainer. Amen. They were not grateful. And so God took them straight up the whole way, right to the, to the border of the promised land, and they wouldn't go in because of fear. They, they had planted those seeds all along the way of fear, and, and, and their fear um, just uh, replaced any faith that they might have had. And God told Moses, he said, he said, turn and go out into the desert. He said, that generation will have to die off, but I'll send the next generation in. Amen? I've always taken that attitude. I don't want God to have someone else do what he called me to do, right? Because he's going to get the job done. Now, we're grateful and thankful if he, we get to be involved in everything he's doing. But if we drop the ball, God's going to get it done. And so we want to be right there where we're supposed to be. But look at Joshua 1.8, because God comes on the scene here. And you can read the whole chapter of Joshua. In fact, I would recommend that to go with this, this uh, sermon. And, and uh, you can just read it and just meditate on it. And you can see what when God came on the scene. At the time God came on the scene, they were to cross the Jordan River. And the Jordan River was overflowed at the bank, banks. It was impossible to get through there. You had children. You had older people. You had all sorts of uh, people in certain different conditions. And so... Instead of Joshua sitting there at the side of the river, looking at the river, what's that going to make it? What's, what good is that going to do? It's going to make the river get bigger, right? It's like looking at the problem. God said, I want you to do this. Look at this. 
in verse 8. He says, this book of the law or the word shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Or I should say then and only then you'll make your way prosperous and then and only then will you have good success. What's the formula for to be prosperous and to have good success? Keep the word of God in your mouth. That means as you're reading it and as you're meditating on it, you are, you are speaking it to yourself. Amen. That means when trouble or bad thoughts come in your mind or, or fearful thoughts come into your mind, you're speaking the word. It's a lot easier to speak the word in any situation when you've been, you've been in it day and night. Trust me. I, I found this true to be about the Lord. He always sends the word in the time of the storm. No matter what storm you're going through, if you hide that word in your heart, it's going to come out. It's going to come up and it's going to come out and you're going to speak the word. And you are going to move the mountains with the words that you say. Amen? God's power moves the mountain, but Jesus said you have to speak to the mountain, right? You have to command it to be cast into the sea and it shall obey who? You. You have to speak. So many people, when they come up against those mountains, they're like, they, they, they talk about the mountain. Or if God says, I want you to cross over this bridge and go into greater glory, they try to hide under the bridge or do whatever they need to do to get out of it, right? And so, but look at this. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Not means not, right? It's not, there's no suggestion of maybe or possibly or something to think about. No, God's saying this. God's teaching Joshua how to have some faith. The same principles of faith in the Old Testament apply to us today. He said, this word of God shall not depart from your mouth. But you should do what? Meditate in it. What's meditation? The word meditate means to mutter. And so when you read the word, don't worry about reading 10 chapters. Just read an area where, where the Holy Spirit leads you to and just, just read it over and over again, and ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom and insight, and it'll, it'll, be, it'll come alive in you. Amen? Can you imagine how far along would all the churches in the United States be if every member of every congregation did this right here, verse 8? How far along would we be? As long as they come from a place of, of the success that Jesus won in the redemptive work, right? You've got to come from a place of victory in a place of triumph, in a place of being more than a conqueror, because Jesus did it all. We're just believing him and walking it out, right? Well, you shall meditate sometimes. No, I read that wrong. Day and night. You know where that takes you? Straight into the radical zone. I'll be a radical for Jesus any day. If you're not being a radical for God, you're conforming yourself to the world. And why would you want to conform yourself to the world that Jesus said is passing away and everything in it? We don't want to be conformed to this world, right? And so, but when you do these things, so the, the word of God's in your mouth, you're meditating on a day and night, and then what's that cause you to do? You observe to do what's written in it. 
got to obey the word. Amen? God's word says don't repay evil for evil. So if somebody punches you in the eye, don't punch them back. Right? Put them in the hands of the Lord. But some people, they just want to follow certain parts of the word, the parts that are appealing to them and what they're, whatever. No, the word of God means that you, that you put God first. Amen? And you say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Then, guess what? Oh, man, you qualify for something. For that, for only then, you'll make your way prosperous. And only then will you have good success. That's the key, isn't it? And so what are we doing at the feet of Jesus? What are we doing in our time of, 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 at his feet? We're bringing the word there with us. Amen. We're praying and meditating on the word. I remember uh, when I first, you know, way back when, a long time ago, when um, I rededicated my life to the Lord. And um, the, uh, the Lord told me to do two things. He said, I want you to start reading my word. He says, I don't want you to give me the time of the day either when you're about ready to fall asleep. Give me prime time and just start reading in my word. And I went into the book of Jeremiah. And that book opened up to me like never before. You know, Jer Jeremiah is the weeping prophet. What I saw in Jeremiah was a loving God who was pleading for the nation of Israel to come back to him. Pleading for them. And I seen a nation that was very rebellious. You know what happened to Israel? They did it to themselves. God didn't do it to them. But he pleaded with them. And I saw the heart of the weeping prophet. And it literally began to do something in me. I mean, I, I grew up in this church and I was taught from a young child on that God is good and I knew God was good, but until I actually just sat down and just focused on it and read it myself, it, there's a difference between knowing something and then knowing something. It like dropped in me like a coin in a, in a, in a jukebox. It would clunk, you know, and, and it... And it and to this day, it's still a big part of, of my relationship with the Lord because I got into his word and did what it said. Um, look at uh, Proverbs 1, verse 7. Let me go through some scriptures today. This will be the Passion Translation. So I believe that when Jesus said that Mary has chosen the good thing, he's talking about the thing that's necessary or the only hope for a troubled soul is to spend time at my feet. And spending time at the feet of Jesus is the word first, then the worship, and then the prayer. It's that, that progression there that um, causes success. And so Proverbs 1, verse 7, passion. It says, we cross the threshold of true knowledge when we live in obedient devotion to God, or reverential fear is the beginning of knowledge, is what the other translations say, right? So what's the beginning of knowledge? Reverential fear. What's reverential fear? Respect and, and, and awe for the holy God. That's what that is. Not to be afraid that he's going to hurt you. It, it's, a, it's a respect and it's an honor. You can't even have, it says it's the beginning of knowledge in the other translations. Does it, mean that it, does, it be, does it mean that you can't learn arithmetic without that? No, it means the spiritual knowledge. 
What good is spiritual knowledge if you don't have reverence for God? Right? It won't do you any good. All spiritual knowledge begins with that reverence of a holy God, and you get that reverence for a holy God through His Word, which ministers to your spirit and reveals Him to you. Amen? That's how it, that's how it comes about. And so the passage says, we cross the threshold of true knowledge when we live in obedient devotion to God. Stubborn know-it-alls will never stop to do this, for they scorn the true wisdom and knowledge. And so when you gain this reverential fear of the Lord, then you start to say things like in prayer, how, how can a God so big and so mighty be so loving at the same time. Amen? Then you'll find in the scriptures, you'll find a God who loves you unconditionally and he sent his son to die for you. And if you were the only one, he would have still died for you. Amen? You, fi you find that kind of passion and that kind of love in there, but it all settles in on the word of God. That's why it's important to where you go to church and that you get taught right. Because there's a lot of people being messed up. And... Uh, they're being taught that God can be behind um, sickness and disease and to teach them a lesson or something like that. That messes everything up because God's not a part of that. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, it's a thief that steals, kills, and destroys. I have come that you might have life. But if they get that, that image of God, they don't even know who the enemy is. Ter terrible things come in their life and they're, they're, they don't know that, they don't even Consider that there's a devil. They're just get, they just get into a self-righteousness. Well, I'll take it because God wants to punish me. I'll take it. And then you get someone that comes along and says, you know what, God knew you could handle that, so that's why he gave it to you. Where do you find that in the Word? I've been in the Word many years. I have not found that. Right? We live in a fallen world. But thank God we serve a risen Savior. We triumph over the world by our faith. Amen? And so, this, uh, the word brings the worship. You know what worship means into, in uh, the Greek? It means, to, it means to kiss. So literally in the spirit, you are, you are kissing God. It's one of the most intimate things that we can do here in this world. You are kissing the spirit of God. You are so close to God that you are just, just loving on Him. If you read the Word accurately, that's the kind of relationship that you're going to have with the Father. If you get involved in religious rules without relationship type stuff, you're, go you're, gonna, you're not going to know God like that. There was a woman that came to this church some years ago, and uh, she said it was a good service. She was just visiting. She said, but they're too close to God. What do you mean, too close to God? You know, when Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, he taught the Jews first. So a lot of what he says in the scriptures, he's speaking directly to the Jews first. And he's the one that taught them about Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You know what that means? Affectionately, Daddy God. Literally. He taught them about the affectionate, loving God, because they only knew God under the law which was just a temporary situation to get Jesus to where he needed to be. He's the one. He's the one that said, God knows every hair on your head. Is he not? 
He's the one that says that if, if, if you lose a coin and you find it, you rejoice. All heaven rejoices when one comes in. He's the one that says that the good shepherd will leave the 99 and come after the one. He's the one that taught, taught those lessons. He taught those lessons that you don't have to fear or worry because put your trust in God. He knows what you have need of. He taught a loving message, did he not? And so through the word and the opening up of, of, of who God is and who you are in Christ, that's a big one, right? And then knowing that we're coming from the place of Jesus' success, he's already conquered the world. He conquered Satan. He conquered sin and death through his death and resurrection. Then you can start to, to uh, grow in really, really wonderful ways. And then the next thing, of course, out of, this, out of the word and the worship, the reverence for God, comes prayer. In prayer, it's where we bind our heart and mind together with the will of God and, and gain strength to do what he called us to do. Now, I want you to turn. I want you to show you, show you a scripture here. Look at Nehemiah chapter 1. And so, so it's the word first with the, with the correct understanding of who God is and how much he loves you. And then that brings a reverential fear and a, and a love for the Father. And then out of that, it brings a, a prayer. It brings the prayers on. And um, this will be New Living Translation, Nehemiah. Let me get over there myself. Now, in Nehemiah, I'll tell you something about Nehemiah in the, in the kingdom of Persia. He was the king's cupbearer. How did he get way over there? That was a long way away from Jerusalem. Well, when, when, when they conquered Jerusalem, they took the prominent citizens back to their homeland, and then they would dump off the less lesser people in their own kingdom back into the area that they just conquered. And so Nehemiah was an excellent uh, person of character and skill. And so he ends up being the king's cupbearer. And we have to remember, it just, it, that doesn't just, doesn't just mean that he brought the king a, a, like a glass of water. No, that was an advisory position. He was very close to the king. The king trusted him. And then one day, some, some of his fellow uh, countrymen came and he just simply asked them, how's it going back home? And they said, it's not good. It's not good. But when he got that news that, that it wasn't good in the homeland and they were being persecuted and the walls of Jerusalem were, were, were in rubbles, it affected him. It affected him. So if you spend time with God, things will start to affect you like that. You know what I think is wrong with a lot of Christians? They have no um, empathy. Very little empathy. We can do something about that. Well, I'll show you here. Look at uh, verse 3, Nehemiah 1. Because he, he asked them, how, how is it going back in the homeland? And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. The king let, some of, let, let them go back to their homeland if they wanted to. He says, but they are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Look at verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. And so out of that mourning and prayer and fasting for the people of his homeland, out of that situation came a vision. A vision birthed in him from, from God Almighty. You know what the vision was? Go back and rebuild the wall. 
Amen. And with that vision came a purpose. And then with the purpose came the passion to do it. The will not to quit. Not to give up. And so that happens now. That happens to us. I, it's really been on my heart that this congregation, that we start praying for the lost. And we start praying for people that, that God would send people across our, our path. It's happening. It's happening. I just, like I said, I was over at Don and Sherry's house, and, and I said, Don, tell me about that woman you, you ministered to, because he told me, he sent me a text, and he said when he went to get his eyes done, there was a woman in there, and she looked sad, maybe 24, 25 years of age. She just looked uh, perplexed, and, um, and uh, Don said, well, something wrong? And she said, well, I'm just worried about a lot of things. And, uh, and oddly enough, one of the things she was worried about was global warming. Well, they did a good number on those people. And, and so she's burdened down by this and a lot of things. And then Dawn just said, let me ask you something. Do you believe in, in God? She said, yeah, I do. And, and, then, and then he said, well, if, you know, if there's a God, then there's a devil. But it's God who loves you. And he said, I spent like 25 minutes in there with her, and I, I, he knew he was keeping everybody held up. But he said, you know what, when I go back, I told her I'm bringing her a Bible. That's precious. Amen? There's, I know we can look out in the world and we can see people doing all kinds of terrible things, but you know what? And they need prayer too, but there are a lot of people, they're just caught up in the mix. They're just caught up. And, and when we give, we give them a word and, and speak into their heart, great things happen. But a lot of times, we don't, we're not alert to the lost. And we're not looking for the lost because I believe we haven't spent time at the feet of Jesus. We're distracted with whatever we got to do. But the lost is our number one priority, reaching the lost. Amen? Because that's, very, very, that's a very, very um, drastic thing for someone to leave this earth and not have Jesus. It's very, very terrible. There's nothing worse that could ever happen to somebody. And so we have to rescue them and, and, and speak to them about the Lord. And sometimes you got to step out in faith to do it. But if you do it, if you pray, it all starts in prayer. I'm telling you. In prayer is where God supernaturally starts to do things in you. In prayers, where the strength of God grows in you. You know, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. All those things just grow as you get the word and as you start to have reverential fear for the Lord and worship him because he is good. There's no God like the God we got. Amen. He is the almighty God. And then we serve a risen Savior and, a, and the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then you start to pray and and ask God for his will to be done in your life and pray for the lost. Pray for the lost. Because when you do, you know what we can do? Either I'm not telling you the truth or I'm telling you the truth. But there's a way to find out. Go ahead and do it. Right? And then give it, give it two weeks. But sincerely pray for the lost and ask the Lord to send someone across your path and then come back to me and tell me if I'm right or not. Because inside of you, God will do great things if you just pray and seek his face. That's what he did with Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah came out of there like, I'm, I'm doing it. God told me to do it, and I'm going to do it. Now, Nehemiah had to go to the king and ask the king for permission to go. And back in those days, if you went before the king and you were downtrodden and, and they could see disappointment on your face in any way, they could have you killed. Because you were not supposed to go before the king with any of your problems. It had to be all about the king. One day, Nehemiah is in the king's presence, and he's down. And the king saw it. He said, Nehemiah, what, what's, what's the problem? And he told him, and guess what? He got favor. The king gave him permission to go and even get timber from his own forest. But where did all that start? In prayer. Fasting. Mourning. God's going to do a, a, a great work here in these last days. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said the harvest is ready. Amen? You know how effective prayer is to change a person's heart and to mold a person's heart? You know how effective it is? Jesus said if somebody wrongs you, what did he say to do? Pray for them. Why? He, he said pray for them and do good to them. He didn't say, pray that I might strike them down. Pray that, that they'll get theirs. No, he said, pray for them and do good for them. Why? Because in that prayer and that obedience to the word, God's going to bring some big time love in you. The kind of love that pushes out all that pain, all that hurt, all that stuff that, that the stuff that was in them, the poison that was in them, it's not going to get in you. It'll literally change your whole outlook. That's how powerful prayer is. That's how I became a pastor. One night I said, one day I said, I'm just going to pray a whole week. I'm going to pray in the spirit. And I'm going to ask God what he has for me to do. Because I could tell I just wasn't feeling um, satisfied anymore. I was working for the tree service. I was getting ready to start a, a crew in, um, I'll take it, uh, in uh, uh, Frederick. I was going to start a branch down there. Already was down there, scouted the area. Already had my dump spots and everything like that. Already picked up some work. But in that process, it just didn't feel right. And physically, it probably would have been impossible for me anyway because I was a single parent with four kids. And if you're going to do that, it takes a lot of time. You're not only doing the work, you're selling the jobs and you're doing all this, but I kept, kept trying to put a square peg in a round hole or however you say that. It just didn't feel right. And then I started praying about it. And guess what? God showed up big time. Amen. And he put that desire in me and that knowledge to who he called me to be. And then I just rode those wings the whole way and have been for 20 years. And so pray and, and seek the Lord in, in these things. And now I want to talk a little bit about examining our motives. We have to, be, um, we have to check up on ourselves. Am I the only one? Sometimes we, we, we can get um, the wrong motives. But I heard a story, and it goes like this. It says, you can tell the size of a person by the size of the thing that makes them angry. And it goes like this. An older wise man shook a glass of water that a young man was holding, and the water spilled out. He then asked a young and somewhat arrogant man, young man why the water spilled out. Because you shook the glass, the young man said as he was annoyed at such a dumb question. 
No, the older man said. Water came out of the glass because that's what was in the glass. Amen? Oftentimes what comes out of us, the trouble, the turmoil, the conflict, it's not the situation so much. It was already in there. Somebody shook you a little bit, and what came out of you, they didn't put it in there. It was already in there. That's what spending time at the feet of Jesus and the word and the worship and the prayer will root that stuff out of you. And when, when, you, when you're pressed with any kind of thing, you'll start praising and worshiping, worshiping the Lord. Amen? And so there's, there's a couple points that will help us as we go along in life and, and uh, uh, help us in conflict situations. And so here, here's the first point. Whether or not things get better or worse has a lot more to do with you and how you live and what you say than any, any other thing. Let me say that again. Whether or not things get better or worse has a lot more to do with you and how you live and what you say than any other thing. Do you believe that? If you're speaking doubt and unbelief, you're not helping your case. If, if you're speaking negative and, and getting in, in, in quarrels and fights, you're not helping your situation. Right? But if you learn to speak God's word, and to walk in love and to keep his word coming in, coming in your heart, through, in your mouth and in your heart and, and being obedient to the word. You can literally turn the whole tide. God will give you the strength to do it. Now, number two, remember this. Even the most positive people have negative thoughts. The secret is not to feed them. Amen. Sometimes uh, I, I hear this quite a bit. People will, um, believers that know the word of God, know the word of God. But then when, a, when they're in a tough situation, they'll have fear. And then they feel bad because they have fear. And I'm like, don't, set, don't feel bad because you, were, you had fear. I might have had fear. But what you do, you don't feed it. Amen. You recognize it. and say, oh, no. I haven't been given a spirit of fear, but the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed my mind on the word, and I'm going to speak God's word, and I'm going to push that fear out of here. But don't feel bad because fear came. You're human. If someone came, came to you and said, I'm never afraid about anything, you might have to call him a liar. I don't know. You could do something. Maybe we come up behind him and, and go, boo, see if they jump. Caught you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the, the important thing is, get your house built. You know these steps. Get in the Word. And then through the Word, develop a worship to your holy God. Amen? The, the, the creator of every living thing. The one who loves you unconditionally. There's, there's billions of people on this earth, and yet he knows your name. You've got to fall in love with the God like that. Amen? And then get into prayer. Just say, God, I'm all yours. Not my will, but your will be done. I promise you, you will, you will go to a whole nother level in the things of God. And so number three, don't forget to look around and appreciate the things that are going right as well. And so when things start to go wrong and you have troubles and, and, and things in your life, which we all do, anybody in here not have any trouble? going around or anything 
I mean, it's, 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 we live in a fallen world. But you got to keep a grateful heart and a thankful heart. And so just take a minute and say, I'm going to choose to think about everything that's going right. I thank God that, he, that, I, that he's healed my body. I thank God for my wife or my husband. I thank God for my job. I thank God for loving me when I didn't even love myself. You know, th think about the good things. Because if you don't, you'll start getting in the, in the negativity. And so turn over to um, John 11. I've got a few minutes left. And I, I want to say this while you're turning there. Not spending time in the Word, worship, and prayer will cause a person to always see things in the natural, which will keep them from seeing the glory of God. Amen? By that I mean the beauty and the intimacy and the power of God within us, who we are in Christ. You know, when I, when I prayed that day or that week for the Lord to show me who it is He called me to be, honestly... I mean, I grew up in a church. I knew God. But then after that, and then taking this journey, I really know God. I really know Him. I knew about the Holy Spirit my whole life. I was filled with the Spirit when I was 12 years of age. But you know what? The Holy Spirit was never my best friend until I made that decision. Now He is my best friend. Amen? He is my comforter. He is my counselor. He will never leave me nor forsake me. There's a a really precious relationship that I have with the Holy Spirit because he, he was sent by Jesus to do that for me. Amen? But he can't work in your life like that if you're, if you're doing it your way. If God's word is not a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path, then he's limited. Amen? And so when you are in this the category of a Martha, Tribrazo, always troubled, always in a turmoil and conflict. You, you rarely see the glory of God because that hasn't been conquered in your life. And so John 11, verse 39, this is when Jesus went to, to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so Mary, of course, Martha and Mary were sisters, right? Lazarus was their brother. And he had been dead for four days. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, the Bible records, you can read it later, Martha comes running up to Jesus. He's Lord, right? He, she doesn't even bow at his feet. She just runs up to him like he's some other dude. And starts talking to him. and says, if you were here, none of this would have happened. But when Mary came, Mary went right to the feet. And then, in verse 38, Jesus makes one of the most epic statements in all of the scriptures. Mind you now, Lazarus has been dead for four days. People are crying and wailing everywhere. Jesus even cried. What a scene. And then Jesus says, show me where you put him. Uh-oh. I know what that did to Mary. It doesn't say, but I'll tell you what it did. Just my opinion. Mary said, watch this. Watch this. But Martha, Martha, Martha. Let's look at this. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. 
And Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? I just want to just give you some advice. Don't go out like that. Don't be recorded in history as that. Because that is the most epic point. Jesus, the, the Lord himself, God himself says, roll away the stone. And Martha says, he stinks. you got a lot of Christians with that mindset. The word says you can do it. You can overcome. God causes the rose to grow in the desert. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens, strengthens you. You can, you can do it. God's with you every step of the way. And we're like, no, can't happen. Nope, can't happen. Not seeing the glory of God because they haven't spent the time in God's presence. And I want to show you one more scripture. You just read over at John chapter 12, still talking about the two sisters, Martha and Mary. Here's another prime example of Mary being at the feet of Jesus again. And guess what? Martha's still Martha. I don't know if Martha ever got it right. But I want to tell you something. That does not mean that Jesus did not love Martha as much as he did Mary. Amen? I'm not talking to you anything tonight that's ever going to change God's love for you. That's set in stone. He is love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but everlasting life. He loves you. He is love, right? I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about your love for God. Amen? And your willingness to lay it down at his feet. So look at John 12, 1. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. So Lazarus is even there, right? He's kicking back at the table. There they made a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one who sat at the table with him. Look at verse 3. This is where it gets precious. Then Mary took a pound of very costly spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. If, if you study that out, they say the cost of that oil that she put on his feet was enough for a year's wages. It wasn't no little Walmart brand down at the, at the fragrant oils. This was highly, highly expensive oil. And Mary dumped it on his feet and washed his feet with her hair. Why did she do that? Because she worshiped him because he's the true Lord and she knows. How does she know all that about the Lord? How does she have that instinct? Because she was at his feet, listening to what he said, obeying what he said to do, and reverencing him. Look at verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. The poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. This is right before the death of Jesus Christ. That room was filled with people, disciples, Many people, I mean, if anybody should have figured it out by then, you'd think it would have been the disciples. We know Judas wasn't going to figure anything out. Mary was the only one 
who had the spiritual insight and the spiritual love to do that for Jesus. Amen? And so that's what being at the feet of Jesus does. It doesn't really worry about the troubles and trials and tribulations. You just enjoy being in the presence of Jesus. And then out of that presence, you, you truly, truly walk out God's will for your life. Amen? And no matter how tough life gets, God told Paul when he had a thorn in the flesh, which was the messenger of Satan sent to buffet him, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're at your weakest, I'm at my strongest. Amen? Paul finally got it. He said, I understand it now. I'm going to glory in my weakness because when I'm weak, then I am strong in Christ. That's what the Lord has for all of us. Amen? That's all I have. Would you rise, please?